Welcome, friends. Lost Scarf here, and it's time for basically a podcast with Matt Bittner. He's the developer of a robot named Fight, which comes out on the 7th. We will have a video out on the 7th for that game as well. Recommend the heck out of it already. Really fun. Spent a couple hours on it. Best description I have for it is like a, a Metroidvania, but very much Super Metroid in that Metroidvania-ness of it. It does a good job of capturing what Super Metroid is. Like, you start out with not a lot of power, just like how Samus loses everything at the start every freaking time. And you gain powers as you go, but in this case it's a roguelike, so what powers you get every run is different. And the levels are designed to take advantage of that. So you have places that are ability-gated, which I think is pretty cool, because I don't see that in a lot of Metroidvanias. Or, uh, Metroidvania roguelikes, they don't really have ability-gated areas, really. It's just you go through all this section... And then you move on to the next section after you get whatever power. So it's pretty cool to see that. And you get all powerful at the end. You get full fightiness and you're just pretty crazy and you're great at the end. And it's a fun game. So I recommend it. And you'll see that video on the channel. So Matt Bittner here. Uh, first question is, how did you get into development? Oh, man, that's a long kind of story. Um, I was in a band. That's, that's kind of how I got into development. And the keyboardist oh. in that band was a web developer. And um, in between, like, practicing things like that, we'd play a lot of video games. Uh, we were both into a, a game called Kingdom of Loathing a whole lot, which was like a, <laughs> a web browser uh, yeah. RPG thing. Um, Love that game. And we, and we kind of decided, like, hey, let's, let's try and do that. Um, and we did, and I was going to do art for it, and he was going to do programming. And it went on for however long, uh, and it really went nowhere. But in the end, I ended up learning how to program. Like I ended up learning, oh, I need to learn Action Script three and things like that. And then through there, I got a, a development job, and like I learned C sharp for this job. And we ended up making mobile games. Uh, so we ended up making like a game called Draw Stickman, and then another one called Battle Pillars, and and some of that. And then just that whole time, I've been wanting to make a robot named Byte. So wow, I, I like that you mentioned Kingdom of Loathing. I played that too. Like. The writing for that is amazing. One of the funniest yeah, things yeah, ever is King of really goofy and You'd be a pasta mancer and... <laughs> Did you get a chance to... Uh, have you played West of Loathing? No, I haven't. I just... I think it was like a couple weeks ago I even discovered that that was a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I really need to give it a go. It's really clever. I recommend that. We have a video on that too. Um, it's, it's everything you like about Kingdom of Loathing, but in a Western style instead. The music is very influenced from the old westerns. Like you, you get a feel for like the good, the bad, and the ugly in the Dollars trilogy. And one of my favorite jokes just from the start is just how they do things. There's a graphic setting that's good, bad, and ugly for a graphic <laughs> right, setting. Yeah. I'm like, oh, clever. I'm like, and so it's just everything you like about Kingdom of Loathing. West of Loathing does it as well. That's just great. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. I'm a big Ennio uh, Morricone fan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But he did all the western music for. Okay. Fistful of dollars and things like that. So, I cannot remember his name, so I will believe that. <laughs> My okay, sticking. There's okay, because there's a bunch of questions I want to ask. I'm trying to keep them in my head. I we'll, we'll stick on ro robot name fight first, and then branch from there. So something interesting is what was the first idea when it came to robot name fight? Example was when it came to Shovel Knight. The first idea was they wanted to do a platformer where you could flip enemies. And from there it became, what if he's a knight? And what if the weapon was a shovel and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So what was the first idea, like the spark for a robot named Fight? Man, it's hard to even keep straight. So it, was, it was seven or eight years ago that I like first wow. tried to make the game and kind of failed utterly. Um, 
but at the time it was sort of it was more uh what if diablo 2 were a platformer or whatever like there hadn't been this big kind of roguelike renaissance on steam and everything like that like binding of isaac hadn't come out and um all those other games hadn't come out so really the only procedurally generated kind of game that i was real familiar with was diablo in that whole series and i love that and i also loved old school platformers so i was going to try and make that so there's this old flash game called my robot is fight that you could probably do a google search for and it has a whole inventory system and like you know, uh, armor with prefixes and suffixes and that whole thing. So that was kind of where it started. That's pretty cool. And then it's become what it is now with Super Metroid. It's very Super Metroid-like and everything. Yeah. And let's see what this thought. Super Metroid. Like, here's my thing: is um, it's it it's been a long time since Super Metroid. Like since playing that, but it feels very much like it with other influences in there. It's it's dead up Super Metroid. Like. So you just how hard is it to just recreate that control scheme I guess or the feel of Super Metroid? It wasn't it wasn't a huge challenge because I had to do a lot of the legwork anyways because it's procedurally generated I had to kind of like write jumping in reverse where I say I want him to jump this many units uh in this amount of time rather than just say like oh you press a button and his velocity goes up or whatever. So I already had that that framework to be like, this is exactly how jumps are going to be timed and everything like that. So I was able, like, I went back and I played Super Metroid because it's one of my favorite games. I speed run that game. Um, not <laughs> not well, so don't get excited. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I was like looking at how Samus jumps, the holding over and jumping and all that. So um, a lot of that I, I kind of copied verbatim. I wanted it to feel very much like Super Metroid because it's, it's, in my opinion, a perfect game, like, especially as far as the controls and things go. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just taking those examples and the rest was coding. Uh, I guess the other hard aspect of it was Unity's physics are not good for platformers, um, or at least a year ago at the time I started working on this, they weren't. Um, since then, they've exposed more with, like, Box 2D and some of that stuff, so it might be better now, but I pretty much had to write the physics from scrap. Like, I, I had oh. to, it's all based on ray casting, and to get that real old school feel, I had to just completely write that from the ground up. So everything's using kind of custom physics that I have a lot more control over. And they're not very realistic. They're a lot more like an old Mega Man game or, you know, Super Metroid. Hmm, that's, that's really, uh, I'm, I'm very ignorant, so I th- that's very impressive to me. So this, is, this was made on Unity. Yeah. And what is Unity really? Because I feel like everyone's way too ignorant on what Unity is. All they hear is Asset Flip, and that's it. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. That's the, big, that's the big controversy, I guess, lately. And like a lot of gaming news, everybody's talking about Asset Flips. Unity is it's a, it's a development environment. They give you a, kind of a visual editor where you have a, what are called game objects. And it's all script-driven and component-driven. So you can attach scripts to things that you write out, and those can interact with other scripts. That scripting's done in uh, C Sharp now. It used to be done in, you could do it in JavaScript or uh, Unity script or whatever. But uh, they've kind of phased that out, so it's crummy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it gives you a lot of uh, tools. You don't have to write a level editor. You It has an animator in it where you can kind of set up animations and things like that. And you don't have to... Uh, and this is more for, I guess, 3D models. If you're doing sprite animation like a robot named Fight, you still go in and you hand draw all the frames and you just kind of toss them and say, this is the time between them or whatever. 
Um, and it's just basically a, a, a tool for visually connecting things. It's just a really nice development environment. And they also have all these, uh, you can script your own tools in it really easily. Uh, for a robot name fight, I had to write a lot of different tools just for like enemy placement or designing maps with doors that can be on or off for, you know, this traversal uh, obstacle needs to be here or not. Just visualizing that, it helped a lot with that. So um, with the asset flip thing, it's kind of a bummer because you can do that. They have a, they have an asset store on it. There are a lot of like the tools that I mentioned. Uh, I use this tool called uh, Super Tile Map Editor by Creative Spore, so I didn't have to write my own tile map editor. And it's brilliant. It's everything you'd ever want. But there are also like model packs. So if you wanted to make a uh, crummy kind of military first-person shooter, you could go download like Army Man and throw him in your game and then download like first-person shooter controller and attach that to Army Man and then like throw in a bunch of pre-made models and just kind of quickly slap together a first-person shooter. And I think that that's what most of these asset flips are. They're just like, I got a handful of things off the asset store and quickly smashed them into a game. So Unity was meant to be, I guess, kind of like modular in that I'm really good at all these things, but I'm not good at these things. And you can buy them off Unity. Because there's like there's artists who just make character models and sell them on Unity would be my understanding. And yeah, yeah. you could maybe make a script and put it on there for people who like they don't really know how to script some sort of animation. Someone scripts it and then they can buy it off of Unity and stuff like that. So it's meant to be a place to be a toolkit where there's a bunch of different tools to pull from. Uh, for whatever you need for your game, if you don't really aren't very good at it, I suppose. Yeah, that's kind of what the asset the asset that's part of what the asset store is there for. And then the I guess the other part of it is like the way I used it is I uh, I didn't want to write boilerplate input management stuff because Unity's default input management is really crummy. So I got a I got a, a thing called Rewired off the asset store. And it automatically like goes in and communicates with all like the X input DLLs and like it can recognize controllers and hot swapping and stuff that just, you know, one person with a small budget, I didn't have time to write input. So I was just able to grab it and it helps with that. So Unity in general, like it can be a professional development environment, same as Unreal 4, you know, as UDK. Um, or it can be, you know, it's also for people that don't really know what they're doing and they get to experiment um, and kind of learn how to make games. So those two things clash a lot, I guess, when they're updating and changing stuff. Um, but as far as like asset flips go, it's a real bummer because it's not really Unity's fault that uh, people are making these crummy games because that's what Unity's there for. It's for people to learn how to, you know, or that's one reason Unity's there is for people to learn how to make crummy games. And I guess I'm of the opinion it really should be on on Valve. It should be on Steam to keep those from getting to the store. Hmm. Like they should be able to say they should, you know, this is not a thing you should sell for money. I don't I don't know why they don't do that. Maybe it's a philosophical slippery slope thing, or maybe they're actually making them fair amount of money off these asset flips i don't know uh it's such a weird let's talking about that for a bit uh, that's such a weird thing uh for years it feels like steam making the amount of money they make could afford having a team to kind of curate all that just going like okay this is an asset flip this is an asset flip like all this is just not very good we can just cut that away instead they did the green light program so that the community would do it for them mm -hmm. And yet this asset flip still got through because they can always bot it out and stuff like that. Just 
get the votes whatever way they want to do it. And it also, of course, breeded the trading card culture of just make this game, have a bunch of trading right, cards, yeah. sell the trading cards. And that was a big problem. And that's why, of course, recently when they changed to direct with the $100 entry, that wasn't going to stop the trading card guys because they're making way more than $100. Yeah. And so they've recently done like, okay, if you're making a bunch of keys for a game that's not really selling much, obviously you're a trading card thing. So we're going to not let you have a thousand, like thousands of keys because you're just being shady. Right. So they're doing some things, but I, it still feels like even with the mountain of games, because they're releasing one to 200 a week, yeah. which is such a daunting number. It's like, I feel like they could still have a team. You're like, okay, this is a flip. This is not, this has no actual merit. And they do. But instead, they kind of let the floodgate run. They have a, I mean, they have to look at every game that goes up in their store because there's a, there's a whole process where you're like, I've got multiplayer, I've got controller support, all that. And they've got to check that those things are there. They do like for your game. Oh. So somebody's looking at it and being like, yeah, this is crap, but we'll put it up there. Maybe, maybe we'll make some money or I feel like it's probably not that I, I feel like it's probably more like they don't want to be the gatekeepers. They want to give everything an even chance. And maybe that's wrong or right. I don't know, but it's a, it's, it's just a crummy situation because unity has got this bad rap now. And I do think it's yeah. actually, it's a really good tool it's just a really, it's too good because you can go in there with no knowledge and you can put together something that's playable. So it's it's weird in that way. And those those things just shouldn't be getting sold. Huh. It makes me curious if someone could go in, they have an idea, but they don't have the knowledge, mm -hmm. but they could maybe figure out how to put things together and actually make something competent and good out of all that. Like, it's, it's still an asset flip, but it's actually one with an attempt to make something good, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if that's something that's doable. In high school, there was some sort of an there was a game animator program that we got, which was pretty cool, where you could just all you did was like, okay, here's the thing, and for whatever commands you just you click the button, whatever way you move the character, now that is now that command. Huh. So it, it did a lot of the it it did a lot of the programming for you in the back. It just did this exactly what you did. So there you go. So yeah. when I hit left, it's going to go left, and there you go, and hit right, and everything. And if I hit A. Here's all this stuff I want to happen, so it'll do that every time you hit A. Yeah. And it will, if it, there's a conflict, it'll tell you, so you can figure that all out. And so I was able to recreate Pac-Man. I'm like, okay, whenever Pac-Man goes over this thing, it's gone now, because he ate it. And yeah. And stuff like that. And here's the ghosts, and they're trying to catch me. Every now and then, every now and then they do something random, so it's not perfect just tracking, because then you're just going to die easily. Yeah. But it allows you to do stuff like that, and you can make platforms and everything. So it was like... A way for teenagers to get some idea of, of game making, which was very cool. Was it click and play? It's, I don't remember what was called anymore or anything about yeah. it, other than it was just with the mouse, you just clicked and you're like, here's the things, and you typed in the, com like, what button did whatever prompt. Yeah. And it was so cool, but it's, that's like 15 years ago at yeah. this point. A good example of that, uh, Hyperlight Drifter was made in a uh, 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 game maker in Game Maker, which is a, yeah. it is a visual uh, kind of scripting thing. Like, I think if you want to do anything real serious, maybe you have to know Boo. I think I've never messed with Game Maker. But it's mm -hmm. one of those things you have to have less programming knowledge than Unity to use it. But Hyperlight Drifter was made in it, and it's beautiful. It's fantastic. Like, that's, a, that's an amazing cool. game. And I was even looking uh, a lot of their tools, like, they made in a weird game way. Like, they were making their tools in the game engine or whatever. So they'd like design the game in the game. It was real. It was really interesting. 
Oh, okay. I got to check it out because I have heard about Hyperlight Drift. But I've never played it, though. Oh, it's gorgeous. Okay. Because there are some games that are very interesting how they do things. And okay, hearing that, how that's made. I don't know if you're familiar with like ZZT. Mm-mm. Like ZZT is like a really, really. It's it looks. I think the best example is probably like Dungeon Keeper graphics. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it was a community where people just make these games, and they're they're kind of that style and everything. That's fifteen years ago. I still think people still use it today. But it's interesting the community of people trying to make games and the different programs that have come up. But Unity just sounds like the newest version of that and uh, that kind of concept where there's all these tools you can play with to try to make a game. Yeah. And so that's cool. Like especially because if you're a one person team and there's just things you don't want you can't you don't know how to yeah, do or, or you don't want to do. Yeah, like I could probably write a tile map editor, but it's not gonna be as good. And it's going to take me, like, buying a super tile map editor for 45 bucks probably saved me half a year of development. Like, <laughs> you know, and that's significant, like, if you're trying to self-fund a game or whatever. So, like, that's what the asset store is really good for, in my opinion, is just those things. Like, things that you can do, but maybe you're not going to do as best as you can. And you just share. And that's kind of how software development's always been. Like, you're always sharing code or referencing other people's code to learn how to do things. Like, nobody just sits there and, like, figures out a first-person shooter anymore. They're they're always looking at, like, here's our philosophy on raycasting and all this stuff. So, I don't know. It really okay. feeds into that whole communal thing well. But it also feeds into people making crummy, like, bad mm. physics and stuff like that. And... Unity is not flawless by any sense of the imagination. There's a bunch of stuff with it that's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you can tell it's Unity because the characters do this or they, you know, the physics are bad in this way. Okay, and then so you just have to go in and correct the physics yourself, like you said earlier, with Fight, where you, you change some of the physics. Or... Yeah, I just I just scrapped. It uses Box2D, which is it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Shovel Knight uses Box2D. But the way they implement it in Unity, they don't expose everything about it. So it's a little harder to work with. So I just scrapped it. I didn't use any um, any of their collision stuff. And it was all written just using, like, raycasting and simple separation algorithms, the kind of things you'd see in old school games. So, huh, okay. So, okay, that's cool. Yeah, it, like, gives you the flexibility. You could write your own thing from scratch, really, but... That's interesting. Just thinking about that. Uh, if you wanted, if just so I'm trying to be creative in making that, because I guess another one is RPG Maker, where people go in there and they do stuff, and yeah, they give you a lot of tools. Make your own RPG. Here's, you can you can draw, you can import images of things, and you can make your own sprites and everything, and you can name literally everything in that thing. So I guess RPG Maker you could say is like a smaller scale version of that in a way. Yeah, and it's a lot more narrowly focused. Like it's for making JRPGs. Unity yeah. is like broad enough. You could make whatever. In it. Uh, Hearthstone was made in Unity. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I never knew. So there, really? there are these big huh. games that are amazing that were made in Unity, but uh, oh, okay. Like there are a lot more games that are. Army man runs into a building and flips. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's crummy asset flips. Uh, that that totally changes a lot of perspectives. Hearing that Hearthstone was made in Unity, because wow, yeah, there's a lot of polish and everything. So it's, that's fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. I, that's that's really cool. I hope everyone learned something because I learned a lot just now. Oh my god, that's awesome. 
Okay, alright. Heading back to Robot Name Fight. I know you're a big fan of Binding of Isaac. So, uh, is that a bit, is that a lot of the influence on the enemies in uh, a Robot Name Fight? Because they're just like mountains of meat and a bunch of mouths and, the, uh, and beaks and stuff. Yeah, kind of. Um, I've always been a big fan of like body horror and like David Cronenberg huh. and... Um, I think before we started this, we were talking about Twin Peaks and like early David Lynch and the weird baby at a <laughs> oh racer head and stuff. That's always yeah. been a huge influence on me. I imagine that's a big influence on Evan McMillan. So those things, but where I pulled a lot from Isaac was just uh, kind of the modular enemy design because every enemy at Isaac, he never does anything just once. Like if he's going to have uh, an enemy that pukes a big laser of blood, there's going to be four more enemies that do that in a different neat way. And I feel like that's just a great design philosophy. So I tried to pull that into my enemies as much as possible. So every enemy is just like four or five different behaviors that I wrote separately that kind of then get stuck together to create like a cool little, it moves this way and then it shoots and then it does this other thing, you know, that kind of um, oh. different modular enemy concepts. So that's where I probably pulled the most from Binding of Isaac. And then all the item design in uh, fight. Okay. A lot of that was fighting Isaac, the progression, getting achievements to unlock stuff. That's all that's all Isaac. So Okay. Badahar, so you must really like the fly and the thing. Like those yeah. movies. Oh man. <laughs> it, uh, just aside on that, it's just impressive how all of that is of course actually done. It's not CG. Yeah, it's all practical. Like, yeah, practical, that's the word. It's like holy crap. Yeah, because I'm like, oh this is just a big thing of mouths and this thing's a bunch of beaks like uh oh, that's that's a fun thing to look at while i'm fighting okay yeah yeah a lot of people Dude. have commented how every enemy in the game is just disgusting like yeah they make you want to kill them just by how gross they are <laughs> i'm like kill with fire please tell me i got a flamethrower this run please my favorite move in the game is doing the, the spin jump yeah, and yeah. using the flamethrower yeah i was uh, or the lightning, or whatever. Which whichever one you get that lets you do that. Oh, uh, several. I also like. I also like doing it just because I will find the secrets a lot easier if I spin flamethrower. Yeah. Like I'm finding everything now. As I, what I like about the game is just all these different abilities. You got the flamethrower. You got like a lightning gun. You got the big beam. You can also have like rockets for your. Uh, like I keep calling it Mega Buster because it just reminds it me is. so much I mean, of Mega Man yeah. with that. Like. You can make the Mega Buster shoot faster, or you can actually do a charge-up shot of it. Mm -hmm. Or it becomes rockets. There's just so many varieties of things. Or it shoots through walls. And... What is some Oh, and then there was the, the little orb guys. Like, your little buddies. I got... In my one in my run when I beat it, which you guys will see in the one-shot, um, I got, like, three of them. Yeah. And I'm like, I've, I just is so awesome having so many toys with me while I'm wrecking everything. Because... My first time beating a game, I got 97% on collection. Like, I don't know what I missed. I was so <laughs> close to getting everything. But when you collect everything, you you become so godly. Like, you have so much power. And it's so fun. Just all these things that gave you trouble, you're now murdering them very fast. Running over to the boss. And it's very fun that way. And that's what you want. I feel like you want with a roguelike, uh, with a Metroidvania, is... You become progressively more deadly yeah. as you go. That's kind of the the overlap. That's where those two genres meet very nicely. Is yeah. you're really powerful at the end. Like by the end of Super Metroid, you have the murder beam, 
And by the end of Binding of Isaac, you're shooting tears the size of half the screen or whatever. So, oh, was that the influence for the bigger uh, shot then? Uh, Just from Buzzing Isaac, or uh, the there's a big shot that yeah, playing Binding of Isaac was probably like, the influence there. Uh, you take up like what a fourth of the screen, or, or maybe two thirds of the when, like a third of the screen, maybe when you have when the mega beam and you have the yeah. shot, yeah, yeah, it's just huge. And I went in it, there and like drew the shots at bigger sizes, so <laughs> and just the hitboxes on having something that huge is just hilarious. It's just a giant thing. It's great. <laughs> what what I'm interested, in, I guess, is is it a simple thing of what gets what gets generated first? The powers that you're gonna have, I guess, would get generated first, and then the map gets made. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll generate like an intended order. Like in Super okay. Metroid, there's kind of you know they expect you to get these items in this order. So the algorithm will generate that order, and then it'll try and piece together a map out of some pre-designed rooms uh, based around that order. So it'll create uh, I, branches and spokes is the best way to kind of describe it. I had to come up with all these terms just to name variables and things like that. So Because um, I found that level design very clever. Because I'm like, I'm realizing like there's these gated areas where I can't go here until I get a certain ability. And I found that clever because I only see that in a Metroidvania. But the thing about Metroidvanias usually are they are crafted towards... Uh, if they're roguelike Metroidvanias, they usually don't have ability-gated areas. Or it's you beat this one section, now you go here, and this place allows you to use those abilities. But having it just on the map itself I thought was clever, and I was wondering how it's done, and that makes sense to abilities and then how they're made there. Yeah. Like, if I know there's a low wall, I know I'm going to get Slide or spider bot. I don't know if there's any other abilities to go under the wall. Um, and if I see a really high jump, I know I'm going to get the high jump or some sort of double jump or something for that. If I see uh, meat covering a thing, I'm yeah. going to get a flamethrower or, or a something. fire and, shot, or you know you're going to... It kind of telegraphs what yeah. you might get. So, And that's something I, I like is as you play the game, the more you know about the game, the more you can kind of guess what you're going to get, which rewards knowledge of the game, mm -hmm. which is something I like about that. And it's just clever. Yeah, that's a big uh, Metroidvania thing. Like, I didn't want to lose that because I really like it about Metroidvanias. You play them, you get familiar, you know where all the secrets are. And that's really rewarding. And like, how's that going to work in a roguelike, you know, where everything's random? So I was trying to do as much as possible to, like, it telegraphs. You know you're going to get this item or that. You know secrets are going to be in this space if you're in a similar looking room. And you kind of get used to it, even though it's different. You there's still this familiarity that you learn. So I'm glad that worked. <laughs> like, I just, I think you captured it pretty well. In my opinion, you captured the essence of what Super Metroid is very well. I haven't played Symphony Night in a long time, so I can't think about that one. But Super Metroid, I think, yeah, you definitely captured Metroid very well. Uh, and also roguelikes in general very well, I think. Like, the big one right now I think everyone's getting compared to is Dead Cells. Yeah. Uh, you play Dead Cells? Or? A little bit. It's one of those that, like, I like Dead Cells. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a Metroidvania to me, because to me, I guess to me, like a Metroidvania is Super Metroid. A Metroidvania yeah. is a Metroid, and I really don't pay a lot of attention to the Vania half of that. I like mm -hmm. I like those games, but like I'm a big Metroidvania, so it just felt like having separate levels and these blocked off places where you're in one space and then you go to another, and there is. There's not backtracking and all those things. It was like, eh, it just, uh, but yeah. I was kind of relieved because 
it came it came out of nowhere. I was working on mine, and this other Metroidvania roguelike came out, and I was like, oh. But luckily, they're like different enough games. I think that like you could love both of them, and they're very different. So, I think right now it's a good time to be a fan of Metroidvania roguelikes. But yeah, I agree that Dead Cells isn't exactly a Metroidvania. Like the map design, you could say is a Metroidvania, in that you know, you have these maps and you go to these different rooms and everything. But once you're done with that area, you're done with that area. Yeah. Whereas for a Metroidvania, you're backtracking here and there at, at times. And you're able to access all places at once. Yeah, you can always get back to someplace you used to be, which isn't the case in Dead Cells. Dead Cells, to yeah. me, is a lot more Vania. It's a lot more yes. Vania than Metroid, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, depending on which Vania, um, like, it's, it, Symphony of Night is very much like Metroidvania. Mm -hmm. We're talking, like, uh, Vania X, where it's just progression. You just go level, level, level. Yeah. And a couple of the other ones, yeah, I get what you mean on that one. Because some of them were just linear. You just go forward in the thing. There's no big map. Yeah. But I think Symphony of the Night, that's a that's definitely a big map one, just like Castle, just like Metroid was. And so, yeah, I get it's more Vania than Metroid, for sure, in how Dead Cells does things. I don't even know how that would work with that. Well, because there's not, they don't really do ability-locked areas, which is why I guess it's fine they don't have to go back in Dead Cells. Yeah, you get the, you get the runes, and the kind of backtracking, I guess, is the dying and replaying. And... Yeah. I mean, it's really fun. It is. It is oh, a really fun. It's game. very satisfying. Uh, I that's what I'm finding interesting is a robot name fight is very satisfying to play. So is Dead Cells. Both are done pretty well. I think the difference is, of course, I was wondering if you tried that or not. Um, progression through death and that. Well, you do have that where you unlock new abilities you can you can roguelike get. Yeah. But like Dead Cells has, of course, you can spend your cells to make things stronger. So next time you start up, you start out stronger from the get go. While in fight, you always start out at zero, and then you go. So I'm wondering, did you try to do a progression system like that, or just never, just thought, no, I just want to be, abilities are always randomly generated in that Yeah, sense. once I once I made the switch from a more, like, Diablo 2-ish, there's no permadeath, and you're getting items, and you're kind of, it's more, it was more RPG-ish. Once I made the switch to ability-driven or item-driven uh, progression, I never really explored the whole, uh, I guess, like, the roguelite, unlock things over time and get more powerful um it was always to me like once i went um to the new like it's item driven i wanted it to feel very metroidvania and very like what was in my head is that um uh, i was playing a lot of like uh super metroid hacks like the uh item randomizer or hyper metroid or all these really cool like the the one that flips the map upside down and things like that and I wanted I wanted to capture like what those mods provide to people. Like it's really interesting to like have familiarity and then use it in this weird new context. So like hmm. you learn the depth of all these mechanics, and then you get to apply them in new things every run, and it was fun in that way. So okay, like uh, you said, uh, basically you think uh, Super Metro is the perfect game. So I was gonna ask what's your favorite Metroid. Now I don't have. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. Uh, so what are the thoughts on uh, Samus Returns? That's coming. Like, people were so hyped to see that we're going to get not only one, but two Metroids, and one of them is Samus Returns, which is, I believe, a remake of two. Yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic about Samus's, Samus Returns. Um, I'm a little wary of, like, the, the dual, the, the twin-stick shooter vibe it has, where you can aim with the other stick and you can aim in, in any direction. And I... I other M made me very cautious of any future <laughs> Metroid games. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about Samus Returns. I really liked AM2R, the another Metroid 2 remake um, that came out, and then I guess Nintendo Candid. That was really fun. Uh, so it has to kind of it has to kind of beat that for it to uh, appeal to me. And I think that's a Good. steep challenge, but it might. It probably will. I'm really excited about uh, Prime Four. I think Prime Four. Will, I I don't see any way it could be bad. I hope I hope it's not. Okay. Uh. I've only played one and two. I'm gonna play three eventually, and then four will happen. Uh, back in the day, just a uh, very much nostalgia talk right here. When Metroid Prime was coming, like a first-person platformer, and everyone's like, "This is gonna be dumb." Yeah, there's no work. way this. Everyone. And then he's like, "No, this actually works out pretty well." It's just, it's interesting seeing that like primes are. They're Metroidvanias, but they are, of course, first-person shooter Metroidvanias, and then you have the traditional... I think the last one was Fusions, I believe was the last 2D Metroidvania... Uh, Zero Mission. 2D Metroid? Zero Mission. Oh, Zero Mission. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, Zero yeah, Mission. Yeah. And so it's been a while. So it is nice that they're doing a 2D, and they're also doing a 3D. And just people who are a fan of one or, and not the other, well, we're getting both, so that's great. Yeah. And just have to see what's coming. And so, yeah, excited for that. Nintendo, I don't think... Until Other M happened, I didn't think they could do a bad job. Right, yeah. But they did pass off the development to another company, though. That's the one thing. But it was still... I, uh, I thought it was the... the uh, his name escapes my mind right now, but main Metroid dude behind Other M. Like, the, the guy that uh, came up with the first one. Oh, okay. That part, I don't... I Maybe know. I'm I, wrong. All I, uh, I remember... Like, all I can remember is... Whenever Nintendo hands off their properties to someone else, it's not always the best games. Yeah. Because, like, Star Fox got handed over to Platinum, and people were not happy with it. It's like, well, that's too bad. And Other M, I know, was a different group, but if you're saying someone helmed it, then, uh, then I need to look in more onto that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, people were not happy with Other M. It was, it was a good game hidden in, like, 16 hours of cutscenes I didn't need. And, like, four more hours of tutorial I didn't need. And just, like, a lot of nonsense. But there was this good game, like, deep down in, in Other M. You just had to wait a long time, I think, to get there. And you had to get through Samus to get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's the girl that thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, because I kind of like this guy, I'll, I'll listen to him and not use my yeah, eyes. My rockets. <laughs> yeah. And every, she's every, a badass bounty owner. I don't and, understand. And everything was the baby. Like, oh, my my phone rang and it reminded me of the baby. <laughs> kind of you want to learn more about Samus, but we learned a little too much about yeah, Samus. Yeah, you kind of want to leave her as this blank slate. Kind of this Doom guy character. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Speaking of Doom, it's... Oh, uh, speaking of Doom, it's... Yeah, Doom guy is... He's just a guy that wrecks things really bad. Yeah. And Samus, for the longest time, is this chick that wrecks things really bad. Didn't need to know too much. She has some connection here and there. Like, there's always been like only a little bit of dialogue when it comes to Samus. And so, yeah, other M, we maybe we got a little too much Samus. I agree. Getting back on track. Yeah, what sorry. <laughs> well, like, it's good to have a sides, but what else did I... Oh, this is going back to Steam on Steam Direct is... How worried are you about the fact that like a hundred games a week are coming out and like you're in the sea? Yeah. How do you separate yourself from the sea of just it games? Some of them are probably not. A lot of them are not great, actually. Yeah. Because I'm trying to make videos, of course, so I'm looking at all the games like, well, this isn't great. This isn't great. This isn't great. Um, half of them are visual novels. 
Yeah. But how do you, uh, what can a developer do? Like, what have you tried, I guess, and um, to try to separate yourself from the pack? I have, on the past, like, month or two, I mean, it's how I got in contact with you, just been on a, a kind of self-directed PR blitz where I'm trying to get it out to as many YouTubers and um, as many reviewers as possible. I recently uh, used my remaining budget to hire on a PR firm called Novi, and they've been sending mm -hmm. out keys and things like that. So it's difficult. Like, if you're going to, um, I guess it's advice to anybody that really wants to, like, publish their own game or put their own game out there, like, save some of your budget for marketing because it's huge. And um, you just got to let people know. I don't know if mine's going to do well or not. Like, it, it's nerve-wracking. Like, I've got three days to go. My stomach's all messed up. I'm, like, not sleeping great. <laughs> like, it's that kind of thing. Um, and, oh, and, and hopefully it does well. But, yeah, uh, it's hard because the, the market's flooded. And asset flips, which we were talking about earlier, like, make that worse. And all these games where they're not... Um, I say this, like, of course my game would get through if they were weeding things out. Hopefully <laughs> it would. <laughs> but, uh yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a. It's the same as doing music or any other thing where you've got thousands of other people trying to do the same. Like of those hundred games, you were saying most of them probably aren't that good. There's probably another twenty that are just they're fine games. They're perfectly acceptable, enjoyable games. You'd sit down and play through them, and no one's gonna see them because there's there's the other eighty. And even those fine games, they're not amazing. So there's gonna be one game that's amazing that gets a bunch of buzz and. And drowns everything out. Um, I hope. Yeah. I hope my little game is niche enough. I hope it's uh, people that like roguelikes, people that like Metroidvanias. They're gonna find it and kind of flock to it, and I can get a little community around it, just so I can keep going with it. But it's it's daunting for sure. Yeah, like uh, for your space specifically. Let's see, your competition is Dead Cells. Mm -hmm. Plenty of people already probably already bought, and if they want another taste, I think Robot Name Fight's a good one. There was Sundered. Sunder got met with not so great reviews. It's really it's, pretty. It's, oh yeah, it's mostly positive on Steam, but if you actually play it, it fell into a lot of the traps that roguelikes can have, mm -hmm. and it became a not as good as it could be. It was a someone put it as a well polished turd. I'm like that's a bit much, but it's very a very nice looking game that did not understand what res that res that less could be more. Yeah, and I don't know if you played it. Uh, I beat it. It's it's a game where you have to grind out levels to beat. Uh, you could beat it with skill, but mm -hmm. the skill is you dodged a bunch. You dodged a hundred attacks to hit the damn thing. You dodge a thousand attacks to hit the thing a thousand times to win through skill, or you just level up and dodge a hundred times to beat it with a hundred hits. It's that kind of game where yeah. they just ramped up the HP and the stats on everything, which makes it artificially difficult. I feel that's and. That's the trap they fill in. I haven't played it yet, but it's it's interesting because back when I was trying to make the game more RPG-ish, like when I was trying to make a robot name fight more Diablo-like, it just wasn't working for a lot of those same reasons. Like, I don't feel like experience-based progression where you're just basically boosting numbers to match boosting numbers on the enemy side. It just didn't work yeah. right in the little short incremental play cycles you want in a, in a roguelike. So that's interesting. I need to give it's it a go. It's hard to find that. Oh. It's hard to find a game that does it. I think the reason why Dead Cells does so well is because they do it pretty well. I feel like Dead Cells, as you're playing, each level gets a little bit harder, and you get a little bit stronger too. So there's a pretty good balance. Mm -hmm. So you feel like it's getting difficult, but you're getting stronger at the same yeah. time. 
And it does it pretty well. Uh, Robot Name Fight, I think, does it pretty well as well. Because you start out in, like, the blue, the, the surface, and then you go to, like, the cave area. And the enemies are a bit stronger, they have more HP. And you, but because you're getting stronger, and sometimes you're even fighting former bosses. But yeah. you're at the point where you can dispatch them pretty easily when you're, or pretty well later on. So I see games that where if the progression's done really well, you don't feel like you're grinding. You feel like you're just enjoying the game. Right, yeah. And Dead Cells does it well. Robot Name Fight does it very well. Sundered does it very poorly, in my opinion. That's too bad. And that's the same thing for a lot of, like, RPGs. Where if you have to grind, if you have to sit down and grind an area for an hour, I feel like that's a failing. Although some games can make grinding feel fun. Yeah. Like, Rarely Default does that pretty well. But that's more RJRPG area. And that becomes my concern with this is a big aside, Shadow of War. Because they're doing all those loot boxes for single player. Yeah. I'm like, that game, the Shadow of Mordor, um, I don't know if you played that game. You felt like you were pretty strong, the enemies were pretty strong, you felt like you both progressed together. And that's something that feels really good. And because they're doing loot boxes in Shadow of War, with XP boosts and everything, it feels like they're going to artificially make it really grindy and not good. Hmm. Which is something that I think is great about roguelikes is... Every run's important. Yeah. Every, it's also about what how lucky you are with whatever you get sometimes because you might not like certain weapons. Like my least favorite weapon, I think, is the one where it's just a giant beam and uses your entire energy bar. I'm like, oh yeah, it yeah. hits really hard. But I'm like, I gotta wait for this beam but now, now I whenever wait I want to recharge. But when I yeah, yeah, and so like that's my least we favorite weapon. But there's a lot of fun weapons in that game, and so I feel like roguelikes. Uh, progression is very important, difficulty and your strength. Yeah. And you and Dead Cells are doing very well, in my opinion. Thanks. And that's good. Um, what else is going with this? Don't remember. So another thing I wanted to ask is, were there any like weapons you really wanted you couldn't get in the game? Like They were cool in concept, but they just didn't work out. Yeah, I've got a list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got like a separate document full of just like stuff that didn't make it, that hopefully will. Like Hopefully I'll get some of those in. Um, and there were, there were concepts that didn't work. There were, uh, more than weapons. It was mostly like traversal abilities. Like, oh, I want to, I want to hover in midair or I want to, um, do some kind of roll attack or any kind of movement combination that it was just really difficult to build a lock around, like a lock that you could easily slot into a procedurally generated world. That's where I ran into the most trouble with just like... I want to do this thing, but I just don't know if I can make it work. Um, there are weapons. Almost any weapon concept would work, but it's a it's a balance of like, do I want this weapon to be required for traversal, or do I just want it to be like a fun weapon that you get and it it helps you kill bosses? So the things that are left on that big list uh, kind of fit that. Like I've wanted a boomerang in there, some kind of boomeranging <laughs> thing. But I don't know. Is it a fire boomerang? Is it a is it a new energy type? Is it uh does it work exactly like a boomerang? Should it, you know like all those little tiny decisions about it aren't in there? Um, a lot of ore powers that I was thinking about didn't make it in there. So huh. I don't know. There's a ton okay. of stuff. <laughs> okay, I, I I would assume there would be a lot because you just your creativity just flourishes. You're like. Here's all the things I could make and what could work, what couldn't work. Yeah, and the bum the bummer of it is is that that happens right when you're about to finish. Like once you've figured out, like okay, this is how collision has to work, and I've got the menus in, and I've done all the like the hard work that's not fun, 
then you're stuck with this like, oh, and I can do all these things now because I've already written all this back end for it. But you're at the end of development cycle, so. That's something I learned. Uh, quick side about me. Uh, I went in college, for, uh, I did program for like two years. And I burned out because I couldn't handle doing like 16 days anymore. Like, okay, <laughs> I need sleep for once. But that was one of the big lessons from my professor was, you're always going to have all these ideas you're going to want to do, but you have to move on at some point. You got to move to the next stage. And it was that, because I remember the first big project we did was you get to, you got to program your own vending machine. And I'm like, okay, so you have to program how it recognizes change. You got to program, when you hit A3, it goes to this and only this and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm like, that's so cool. And there's all these other bells and whistles I wanted to add to a vending machine because <laughs> I'm like, this is so cool. I can program all these ideas. It's like, you have to cut off at some point. You just yeah. have to and move on to the next thing. I'm saying all that to branch into another thought of, it's just you uh, in development, right? For your game. Yeah. Uh, the concept of crunch time. Uh, since when it's only yourself, when it's self-motivated, uh, is that really a th like how is how is crunch time when it's just you developing a thing? I guess because we hear about it with companies. But... Yeah, it kind of just is crunch time all the time. Uh, but since it's my own concept, like I love it. It's it's fine. You know, like I'm always doing whatever I want to do on the project. Uh, when I've worked for other like when I've worked for developers, whatever, uh, crunch time's a pain. It just comes from a, a lot of it's poor planning or a lot of it is like to make this game sell anything, to make people aware of it, we have to have this demo out. We have to have this thing that looks complete for people to play. And that's not a good way to develop games. Like you you, you want to develop things incrementally and you want, you know, ideally your game's going to probably look like trash till towards the very end. And then you're going to mm -hmm. polish it once you've figured everything out and you're not going to have to redo everything. But to meet just the, the like demands of being able to show it off and everything like that, you're usually like crunch time will hit when you're when you're writing code to make something work and you know you're going to throw away all that code. You know none of that's going to get used. You're just making it work for this or that for this or that demo. Um, and then the the other part of it, it's just uh, I don't know. Uh, poor planning leads to crunch time, or uh, feature creep leads to crunch time, and it's no fun. Like it's uh, 10, 12 hour days aren't fun. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, as a solo developer, it's kind of up to you to pace yourself. And if you want to avoid having terrible crunch time towards the end, like knock out the the easy, boring questions first. Knock out your UI first. Knock out your your things that you're not going to want to spend a ton of time on. Just get them all up and running, and then uh, come back to them to improve them later. At least that's that's what I've tried to do with Robot Name Fight. Like this past month, I haven't been adding any new features. But I've been making sure, like, when you approach things that tell you to use a button, if you're using a keyboard, it shows you the keyboard thing and um, that kind of simple stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That is the thing I've encountered, uh, you mentioning that, where it's a game's like, okay, I'm getting keyboard prompts when I'm using a controller. Or I'm getting controller prompts when I'm using a keyboard. <laughs> and it's a little odd, like, okay, I now i got to figure out which button is that prompt now. And it's great. It is. It's a nice little thing people don't notice. Is whenever it's like, yeah, it's actually accurate, or it switches when it detects whichever input you're using at the time. Yeah, which is nice. I think there is one thing you add, and I think that is the tutorial bot. Yeah, tutorial smith. That's that's new. Yeah, which uh, played it before that. And then when I I played again, I said, I'm like, oh, that's a funny addition. I like <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I like tutorial smith, although he's only there for the start. Yeah, but... he tells you how to use two buttons, and then you're left yeah. to your own devices. 
I feel like it doesn't tell you about the most important ones at the same time, though. Yeah. I absolutely, I love those two buttons. I love the shoulder buttons. Those feel genius. Because I'm like, so I don't have to worry about aiming and jumping trajectory at the same time. Mm -hmm. Having the ability to aim up and down while jumping and shooting feels really nice. So I really like that addition for sure. That's a, uh, those are, that's Super Metroid. That's, that's Super Metroid. Yeah, shoot, I don't remember that buttons. right now. Uh, so that's smart. Whenever that was designed. So Super Metroid. Yeah. Then. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like that too. Uh, tutorial bot was one of those things I added at the very end just because I was like, whoops, I didn't put a tutorial in my game. <laughs> That's a big mistake. Uh, yeah, but I felt like hopefully it's funny enough. Like, hopefully it kind of gives and it gives you it's like press this to shoot, press this to jump, press, and then it shows one of the shoulder buttons, but it doesn't tell you what yeah. to do with it. So, hopefully, yeah. people will think and they'll use, but they probably won't, and I'll probably get a bunch of Steam comments. <laughs> I think it's it's the game's straightforward enough that that's good enough as a tutorial. And when you get the powers, off the top of my head, I think when you get the powers, they tell you. Yeah, like when you get Spider-Bot, just says down B for Spider-Bot and slide and dash. I'm pretty sure it tells you when you get the abilities how to do them, so that works. And yeah, I think the minimalist tutorial works out pretty well for yours. I don't think you needed a, uh, a tutorial course or anything. Yeah, I didn't really need hand-holding or any of that yeah. going on. Because I see, uh, well, there's an example that came out recently was the Cuphead tutorial. Oh, yeah. Where uh, it's you run through and it gives you obstacles and just shows you how to do them. There you go. Uh, and there, of course, was some game reviewer who just... I think I saw that gif where he just couldn't get it. Yeah, he couldn't get it. He's like, uh, the idea is jump and dash over the pillar, but he's just standing at the pillar and he jumps and he can't get over it. And he dashes yeah. into the pillar and he's yeah. like... I don't get it. Yeah, he jumps, and I understand. And then later dashes. Yeah, he jumps, and then he dashes. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Why is he not getting it? And I, I can understand the argument that's not intuitive because you jump from this over it, and then like you get high enough, then you dash. For me, that's very obvious. Yeah, he says he's been playing games for eighteen years, so that should be obvious for him. I feel, but if you're new to the game, I could understand. Yeah. If this was someone who doesn't understand the concept of platforming all that well, I understand maybe they should have had maybe he's been playing another portion RTSs for eighteen years. <laughs> yeah, like maybe there should have been another portion where it's the jump dash instead of just doing the jump and dash at the same time. And so I get that for maybe a new player, but eighteen years—that's kind of ridiculous. And he couldn't get past the first level for twenty-six minutes. That's probably should have gotten someone else to review the game instead right. of him is how I feel. He should have handed it off after that point. Like, oh, I don't think this yeah. is for me. Because it's, uh, Cuphead is very much a, a Contra-like and a, uh, a Metal Slug-like kind of game. Like, Metal Slug's one of my favorite games of all time, yeah. so I'm looking forward to Cuphead. And it's just so ridiculous someone just couldn't get through the tutorial. One of the best tutorials I've ever seen, just for some reason we're talking about tutorials, um, Tembo the Badass Elephant is one of the best titles ever. Okay. That game, the tutorial is about 30 to a minute long, and it's all done in pictures. That's it. It doesn't need any words. It just shows you the button prompts and pictures. I think that's perfect. That's fine. Just It shows you what you do, and you get right through it. Because what that does is you don't have to translate anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that's huge right there. And actually, are there different languages for Robot Name Fighter, or is it just English? Uh, it's just English right now. I've got... Uh... A big old spreadsheet that I'm hoping to do uh, Spanish and Portuguese first because there's been there's been interest from Brazil uh, for Ooh. for whatever reason, which is cool. Um, so I would like to localize it eventually. I just haven't had time or money to do it. Mm. So 
Like, fortunately, just thinking back on your game, there's the intro. There's very the little Smiths, text. And then the outro, yeah. So you don't have too much to worry about, I would except I think it's just making sure you don't translate <laughs> it incorrectly. Yeah. I've or got it's a robot named Potato. That wouldn't work out. Robot named Potato. Or Robot Fighter. <laughs> yes. Funny. Uh, I think, like, half the text is in-game text, but then the other half of that sheet is all the controller assignment menu. That's where all the Ooh. text is, is all, like, the, you know, 14 different buttons, and here's how you calibrate a controller. That's where it all is, so. Oh, yeah, that's true. Always forget about the options menu. There's so much text in the option menu, yeah. and so much you can get wrong in there. <clears throat> I've had indie games where the uh, the sounds, the sound bars do absolutely nothing. <laughs> They're just there. Yeah. I've had that also where... Also, the controllers. You can't actually adjust the controller at all. There's, you think you've changed everything. None of the prompts actually changed. It's still what the the default was. Or just having a game with no resolution options is such a killer for me. I'm like, as you want to be able to play windowed games sometimes. Yeah. You want to play full screen or whatever resolution you want. And there's just so many ways you can kill a game just in the options menu, I've realized. Especially for content creators who... They want to cover your game. They're like, well, this is going to be really hard to record for whatever reason. Yeah. And I feel like indies could really work on that a bit more. Yours is pretty good, but there's some where it's just the resolution options are windowed and not windowed, and you can't adjust the size of the window. Yeah. It's like, so the window is like this small. I think in a robot named Fight, you have to yeah. drag the window. And maybe I should go back in the next patch and put in a, like, here's 1024. I gotta double check, I gotta double check on that one. Yeah. From a developer point of view, it's just one of those things that, like, that's one of the least fun things to work on, but <laughs> you need to do it. Like, you, you should go do that. That's an important thing to go do. So I think a lot of them just, or they've they've never uh, they've never designed games before. Like, it's their first or second game, and they just didn't realize, like, oh yeah, that's really important. That's uh, that's an opinion I have is when I see a lot of these games on Steam, I feel like these are the first games to learn how to pr how to do a game. That should have been scrapped. Though. Like those are the ones you're you're learning from, yeah. and they release them anyway. And I I guess there's just different opinions of well, you put on that all that work, just put it for like a dollar or two, and you work on your next game. Maybe those will make you some money at the same time. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that's also flooding the market so that people with good games are just not being seen. Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna get into game development, you really shouldn't make a big game first. You need to make four or five crappy games. <laughs> Like, you need to make some games and, re like, do the menus. Do everything that you're going to have to do for it to be a real game. But then realize you're going to throw it away because it's not going to be good because you've never done it before. Like, the first games I ever worked on were, were crappy. A Robot Named Fight is, like, even at the end of development now, I'm looking back at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's things that could be improved. There are things I learned from this. So you, you need a few games to learn just the basics of everything involved. Yeah. Um, oh. Random, my random thought is, did you ever consider doing a wall jump? Yeah. Um, like, I'm, I was real torn about a wall jump. Because uh, <laughs> I, I wanted it in there. I love wall jumping in Super Metroid. But it just opened up too many weird possibilities to hit a soft lock. Like, mm -hmm. with the random generation. Like, if you jumped off a really high cliff or reached an area you weren't supposed to, they, you might not be able to backtrack because there might be some overhang or some other thing. So it just threw in... It threw too many wrenches into designing around it. I'm not gonna uh, rule it out, though, for future patch updates. Like, maybe that's something that you unlock later. Maybe that's something that I throw in there. Okay. Th that is something that could always exist as well as 
if you ever wanted to make specific challenge maps or something like that, that would be interesting as uh, something that you use these specific abilities or a spider bot specific kind of map. I don't yeah. know. Like, there's so much you can do with the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, back to that, though. Novi. Yeah, they did contact me. Oh, yeah, they contacted I, you again after I contacted yeah. you. I, I didn't contact them back because, like, well, I already got the game, so I won't yeah. waste their time. But I'm like, yeah, so Novi, I'm like, oh, hey, he's, he got a, a company to try to get the game out, so that's cool. Yeah. And, yeah, just trying to get the word out there and everything. I've just, I've heard different opinions on who they go for. Like, some people, they just send it out to literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Some go to specific niches, like, hey, you really like this genre, so we're going to send you the game and see if you want to pl- cover it and everything like that. And there's just some different approaches to getting out there. And did you, or it's, it's gotta be, it's something that's just convention stuff. Did you ever consider doing convention, uh, showing off Robot Name Fight, but it just wasn't the budget or just, that, you didn't think it was going to work out? The budget's the big part. Uh, and mm-hmm. also just, just finding the time because I was still developing it and, you know, watching finances go, <laughs> like, <laughs> drop down as I'm working on it. Um, and I just haven't had a chance to attend many. I'm trying to get into MAGFest, which is coming up. Uh, Music and Game Fest would be fun. Uh, tried to get into PAX and didn't. Uh, and then, uh, I went to the, the one in, uh, Philly. I forgot what it was called. Um, that was all right. But yeah, uh, there've been a few game festivals and I'm going to try to attend more, especially after the game's out. Um, and you were you were talking about contacting people and just like some people just contact anyone and some people like look and try and find. I I I did make an effort to at least like watch several videos of every channel that I sent the game to and and uh, make sure that they were interested in the same type of game so that they even like the game. Like I think it's probably a mistake to just scatter shot it out there um, yeah. to anybody. So you want to at least be able to like look at the content creators you're you're sending whatever you're sending to and see that, you know, they might like this, you know, that would be, I guess your litmus test is, does it seem like they might like your game? Well then send it to them. If it doesn't, don't. Yeah. Cause yeah, you contacted me maybe late July or early August. And here we are. Yeah. The game's almost out. I played a lot of it. I, well, at first one, I'm like, Oh, it's a bit rough. I don't know. And then I play, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, this is this, it, this, this get this is the essence of Super Metroid. I felt and considering you played enough, you would definitely get the essence of that for sure. I think you captured it. I've said that already, and it's good. It's good. I recommend it, everybody. <laughs> but there's one more thing I want to mention, just as an aside, is I talked to Ian Flood, who's one of the people from Yacht Club Games, okay, for Shovel Knight, and he was talking about uh, they did a Kickstarter for Shovel Knight everything, and they were not going to meet their goal. And they went to PAX, and after PAX, they got enough press that people were interested, and they were able to meet their goal, and then Shovel Knight happened. And so, like, that is, like, there can be potential to PAX, but I don't really know enough about the how to get into PAX. I'm wondering, what's the process of trying to get your game at PAX or any convention? Um, I... I'm trying to remember. I've submitted a couple different things, but usually they'll ask for just like a, a gameplay video. Like, here's 30 seconds to two minutes of your game that just proves that it's a working game, that it's a title you can actually show up. And then you've got to pay fees for a booth. And um, I think when I actually submitted to PAX, it was just too late. They were like, no, we already went through everything. I mean, we, uh, we picked the ones we wanted. 
Um, but it's, uh, yeah, you've got to put together a lot. You've got to put together a press kit. You've got to put together, um, like some, some trailer, you, you need a trailer for your game. Um, so that's where I had to learn to video edit <laughs> and I had a few <laughs> friends to help me. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of different, uh, things that you have to go through, I guess. Last one. That, okay. There's two questions left, but before the last question is, uh, did you make the music or did you have someone make it or I, wrote, I did not check the credit? <laughs> yeah, I did all the music. Um, I've played music for longer than I've made games, so. Um, it doesn't make sense you're in a band, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like the, like I said it before in your Discord, like I really like the, the theme song. Like if you leave Thank it you. going for a while, that's so good. Thank you. It's really good. Um, I'm either going to need to play that music in the one shot or at in the outro of this video, it's so freaking good. I'll get you a... I'll, and I, oh, I'm sorry. I'll get you a Steam uh, key for the OST so you can get it off. Okay. So it's, it's really good, and um, uh, I believe that's the final boss battle. Yeah. Which, uh, my bad on not noticing it was in the final boss battle, because that battle is so intense. Huh. There's so much going on there. It's such a fun fight to do, and I was just really into it, and I guess I missed it, because I'm like, this song's really good. You should put it in the games. like... Yeah, it, it's in the final boss fight. Like, oh, <laughs> it's it's on the oh. way to the final boss fight. So like when you return okay. to the surface or whatever, it's all up there. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just so pumped because I'm just running through, just barreling through everything. <laughs> like I'm gonna go kick some ass right now. I'm at full fight mode here, and yeah, it's it fun and I really like that song. But the last one to end it out for everybody is anyone who's here is advice you would give for anyone who wants to go in development. Like, I went to Comic-Con, and they had a panel, and that's where I got to meet Ian Flood, and I got to meet some other people, like the developer of Monaco, and developer of some other games. I can't remember any of their names, my bad. But they told their stories and everything, and there were just, everyone was there. There were, like, young and old. Yeah. There, there were kids making notes, teenagers making notes. I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, I'm just here, like... I'm seeing everyone take notes right now. This is pretty awesome. Like, it's all in my head because I'm not a developer. I'm a YouTube person. So I'm just drinking it in and just appreciating it because I like that all walks of life. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool. So there's a lot of aspiring developers. So what advice would you give to an aspiring developer that really wants to get into this? Um, I'm a weird person to ask because I've come at it from such a weird direction. I'm like self-taught in programming and I'm self-taught in pixel art and all that stuff. And it's, it's taken me like 10 years. I'm 33 and I started back when I was really young, just like learning different little skills. But if you're, I think if you're getting into it, one of the most important things is just like practice and don't try and make your big dream idea right out the gate. Like make lots of little tiny games, make games that you're unfamiliar with. Try and make a match three game. Try and make, uh, an art, like just try and make as many different little kinds of games as possible and learn from each experience. Like, seriously just practice and make throwaway projects and prototype stuff and just constantly be going at it even if you're working a, a nine to five job or even if you're working a weird i worked at petco while i was uh <laughs> working uh on the original like my robot is fight and learning to do action script three and everything and just during that whole time even if i couldn't make a full game i was doing pixel art animation and i was doing whatever i could in my spare time so just practice practice and practice some more and expect expect what you do to be really crummy. Expect it to be really bad. Um, and then get better. Like, it's not going to be great. The first things you do aren't going to be amazing. You just got to keep at it. And eventually you'll get the skills. And eventually you'll get knowledge to just 
keep doing it, you'll get better and better. Uh, that was supposed to be the last question. I'm going to ask you more. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, opinion on uh, game design schools um, and things like that. That's tough because I've never gone to one. Um, I know I have a friend that went uh, to one down in Texas. I forget its name. And he came away with a lot of really good uh, like level design knowledge and things like that. So I think it's one of those things. I think game design schools five years ago were prob- were probably crappy like they pro- like it hadn't been around long enough for them to form like an academic model around game design or whatever i think they're gonna keep getting better like it's the same as film schools and or or literature it's the same as like i have an english writing major um if i tried to get that back in the 1700s i don't know that it would have been very good <laughs> but I-, I think with video games like those are going to keep getting better and eventually it is going to be a very legitimate path to uh being a game designer or being any kind of technical person on a on a game dev team um okay so i don't know i'm sure there's bad ones and good ones and i but i just think they're they're probably going to keep getting better all right uh one last one is opinions on game jams and london dare stuff like that um i've done very few game jams but i've always liked them when i've done them i always learned a lot sometimes they're stressful and you end up with a piece of unfinished crap that you're like, oh, this is sad. I worked really hard and stayed up for 72 hours trying to do this. But I do think they, they're they helpful. I don't know how many like great games they turn out, but I think they help game developers practice and, and get better. Game jams are great. Like They force you to mm-hmm. think quickly, and they force you to learn how to develop things uh, in a way that you can implement them very quickly. And that's important when you're making a game. Like You want to have something you can play and test very early on. You don't want to wait. You don't want to. You don't want to be six months into development and think, "Oh, this will eventually be fun." If it's not remotely fun after a little bit of development time, like if you don't have something to play and at least see fun or the potential for fun in it, it's not something you need to keep pursuing. Like you need to be able to prototype something very quickly and understand, like, "Yeah, we can make this better." It needs to be inspiring early on just to play it. And game game jams are helpful for that. Okay. Well, thank you for all of your time and everything. And we learned a lot. I learned a lot. <laughs> that's why I like the. That's why I want to do this podcast so I could just converse and learn. <laughs> like, because I don't want to be ignorant about everything. Like, I want to. I'm glad to learn more about Unity and asset flipping, all that, and just a mind on how your game got developed and everything. This is basically a podcast to learn. That's the, that's what it is, and. I appreciate you taking the time, and I really hope uh, Robot Nine Fight does well. Me too. There's so many, <laughs> like especially for you, you really want it. I there's so many great games that don't, and it's such a heartbreaker. Yeah. You really want them to succeed. There's been some amazing stuff out there, and I think this is a really good one and deserves the attention. Well, thank you. That I hope it gets more of it, and we'll see in a couple days. Yeah, it's Three almost days. here. Uh, oh yeah, like, uh, promote me on Twitter and Thunderclap and <laughs> sign up for all the things. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about all that. So, uh, you're you have a Discord, you have a Twitter. Yeah. Uh, any other things you have, and what are the, I guess what are the addresses and everything? Uh, like robot name fights. Just a robot name fight. Yeah. I think? Let me just oh, run down the list. Uh, yeah. On Twitter, it's at robot name fight. Uh, Discord. Uh, find the link on Twitter because I don't have it handy right now. <laughs> Uh, Facebook is A Robot Named Fight. You can go to arobotnamefight.com and find all the links to social media. My my wife has helped me set up most of those things. She's like a social media person. So 
Um, yeah, those are all the ways to find out about the game. I have a YouTube where I've got the trailer, and I probably will uh, post a couple more. And I also have a Twitch channel, Twitch slash robot name a robot name fight, where occasionally I don't really announce it. You can find me like live developing the game or live streaming, like just play testing. So. Yeah, we'll we'll do our due diligence to have all the information we can in the description for all those all those things. And I think that is everything. So thank you very much for being here, Mr. Uh, Matt Bittner. And that is the podcast, everyone. I had fun uh, talking. Hope you had fun watching and listening. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks. Goodbye and see you next time.